Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How hard I train directly impacts how long I'm going to live. Mm. And I don't think anyone could have any stronger motivation than, than that. When you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like, would it be physical muscles you'd see? Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author, and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times, and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Hello and welcome to another episode of Give Me Strength. Now, as someone who loves to chat, as you guys probably know, (laughs) it's not often that I'm rendered speechless, but hearing my next guest story at an awards dinner that I was fortunate enough to be at was one of those moments where everyone in the room was stunned to silence at the adversity he has overcome and the achievements he has gone on to conquer. Born with cystic fibrosis, Josh Llewellyn-Jones was given 10% chance of surviving his first night. And after making it through this, he was then given the terrifying prediction that he wouldn't make it past 30. Now, age 32, Josh is a world record breaker, an OBE, and devotes his life to undertaking humanely impossible challenges. From running in the national championships age 15, Josh went on to climb Mount Kilimanjaro age 17, and if that wasn't enough, then had a boxing match with European heavyweight champion Scott Welch at the top, raising over £125,000 for cystic fibrosis. To celebrate reaching his 30th birthday, he became only the fifth person in the world to complete the World's Fittest Man Challenge and then went on to break the world record for most weight lifted in under 24 hours. The previous record was 475,000 kilograms and Josh managed to lift a whopping 1 million kilograms in 22 hours and 11 minutes. 
these are just a few of the outstanding achievements that this incredible man has achieved and I am just so thrilled to be joined by you today. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good. You've said all of that a lot better than I, I can, <laughs> so I think I, I can go home now. <laughs> so you got up at 5am to be here, which is a big commitment. Are you used to early mornings? Do you train in the morning? I tend to. I think I quite like being up early in the morning, get it done and then get on with the rest of your day, really. Seize the day. That is my way of doing things. Now, I've been so excited to meet you since you won your award at the Pride of Sport Awards. Can you maybe explain a little bit about what you won? Yeah, so I won Charity Fundraiser of the Year, which came as an absolute surprise. And I actually got the phone call as I crossed the finish line to my last challenge on October the 11th outside the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. And Listen, you know, I don't do all of these things for the awards. I do what I do because I want to help as many children as possible around the world. So for me, it's, yeah, it's nice to get the pat on the back. But most of all, it's nice because the charity gets the recognition and it puts us on a bit more of a bit more of a map, really, for raising money and awareness. So, yeah, I was really grateful to get it. But like I say, you know, it's I don't do these things for for the awards. Yeah, and I'm sure the number has increased now. But I'm, I'm am I right in saying it's eight hundred thousand pounds you've raised so far? Correct. Yeah, and I counting, think, and counting. Yeah, I <laughs> want to get to a million pound as you know as quickly as possible. Amazing. Now I want to take you back to when you were little. So I mentioned that you were born with cystic fibrosis, a condition that affects one in every two thousand five hundred babies born in the UK. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about what the condition is? So effectively, cystic fibrosis uh, clogs up your lungs and digestive system and other vital organs with this thick, sticky mucus. makes it really hard for, for people to, to breathe, essentially. So what they kind of say is that if you want to sort of understand how it feels to have cystic fibrosis, hold your nose and breathe through a straw. And that's how, how bad it is. For me, growing up, um, you know, I was two and we got this incredible sort of doctor involved from America. So there was a family holiday planned and my dad said, you know, we need a specialist just in case something goes wrong with Josh whilst we're, th- we're, we're in the States. And little did they know that a whole day assessment had been set up with the, the top doctor in America, uh, the late Dr. Bob Kramer. And at the end of the day, you know, he said, you know, he's, he's two years old. Other than his CF, he's sort of perfectly fit and healthy. And my dad just turned to him and said, you know, what do we do? You know, we've been told that he might not reach his teens. You know, what do we do to give him the best possible life? Mm. And he said, run his legs off and throw him in the sea and watch him swim. And when he complains, throws up and passes out and doesn't want to do it anymore, pick him up and make him do it again. And that was the advice in 1989-ish, you know, and... I think the Americans certainly had a more of a gung-ho attitude to, to their advice, but it worked. It paid off. Yeah. And, you know, I had two older brothers and an older sister. And it's fair to say I was battered as a kid growing up. I was never wrapped up in cotton wool. And it served me really well because, you know, I went on in, in school and, you know, I mean, being Welsh, rugby was our sort of mm. main sport. <laughs> and uh, and on the pitch, you know, whenever someone tackled me, it's like, that's not really a tackle, mm. you know, because I was used to getting battered at home by older brothers that's one question i was going to ask you is as a parent whose child is diagnosed with something like cystic fibrosis or born with cystic fibrosis it must be really tempting to just kind of want to wrap them in cotton wool you know because it's such a a life limiting condition that you kind of want to make the most of i guess what you've got and that might mean that you do hold them back from doing certain things but it seems as though your family were incredibly supportive of just sort of letting you get on and doing as much as you can with as much as you could give yeah, you're right. And I speak to a lot of parents now through the charity and through social media around, you know, how they bring up their children. And 
listen, I'm not a parent myself, but you know, obviously it's a natural reaction to sort of protect your children as much as possible. And, you know, the common cold can be really bad for someone with CF growing up. Maybe their immune system isn't as strong. Mm. But, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, we were practically living on a farm. There were chickens everywhere, guinea pigs everywhere. I was just, you know, running around in a nappy in December with no T-shirt and trousers <laughs> on, chasing chickens, you know, that are pretty dirty animals, to be honest. But I think it built up my immune system. And, and you know, and I'm grateful for my, for my parents, really, that just allowed me to be a normal kid. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're growing up, you go into doctor's appointments and they give you the worst case scenario. And whether that's to cover their backs or just to sort of you know, make you aware of a situation that might happen and they don't want it to be too much of a surprise. Mm. You know, growing up with a, a, the life expectancy of, of 30 was, you know, as a child, I think you have two choices. You can either let it get you down and, and you know, you can sort of go the, the sort of negative route, I suppose, and mm. make the most of life when you're growing up and go out drinking with your friends every night just to make the most of it. Or, you know, turn it on its head and sort of say, well, that's not me. Mm. You know, I'm not going to allow that to happen. But that mindset really I think came from my upbringing you know I don't believe I was I was just born determined I think I would that was sort of part of my growing up with older brothers and you know like I said never wrapped in cotton wool and I think parents you know and quite rightly so want to protect their children but from my personal experience it doesn't always work that well mm. if you protect your, chil mm. your children ag against all of these things and, and I think it's interesting because it comes from a place of love but it's not necessarily always the best thing I wanted to take you back to something you said and you said you know you can look at it two ways but did you ever have some of those down days when you were a kid and do you remember feeling that sense of injustice <sighs> it's a great question I think growing up in school because I was so sporty and I was pretty good at sport I mean it was clear pretty early on I was good at football good at rugby and mm. I was captain of cross country and I, I did really excel in school in school sports certainly not in the classroom and that's the place that I hated <laughs> to be but I think the only time that I was very aware that I was different and very aware that I had a disease that no one else had mm. was when I was in the change rooms after after games and I took my t-shirt off and I had this great big scar on my stomach from the operation I had when I was born and you know the kids being being kids used to ask in a pretty direct way you know what's that then and then my brother, I think it was my, my brother Mark who sort of turned around and, and gave me the advice to sort of answer the question and say, you just got bitten by a shark. <laughs> and actually it worked. And I was the coolest kid in school for ages. I love that. Um, <laughs> up until, I think, 12, 13 years of age when people sort of started to cotton on that there's no way that you had a fight with a great white and came out on top. <laughs> um, but I found the real story at that age of, you know, having emergency operation when I was born, 10% mm. chance of surviving the night. I had a, an ileostomy, so I had a bag as a real young baby. Mm. I found that story quite boring and, and quite difficult. Cystic fibrosis is a very complex disease that affects mm. a lot of different areas of your, 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 your physical wellness, I suppose. Mm. Try to explain that to a child it's almost impossible for them to, to fully understand. And even having the disease, I didn't fully understand what it was. And I think that was a good thing. Because I think if I knew all of the facts like my parents did, then perhaps I would have had more of a negative mindset. I think that's really interesting that your parents almost consciously held back a lot of that information. And I think that's something that you've actually accounted to being quite good. And, mm. and there's so much in, 
I guess us currently, especially these days, wanting to know everything about ourselves. Wellness is this massive revolution where people want to know everything about themselves. And actually, I agree with you in that there's something in just not knowing and just rolling with whatever your body throws at you, you know. Mm. And especially with someone that's dealt with more physical adversity than, than, you know, a lot of people that I've come across. I think for you to say that is really empowering. I wanted to ask from a practical perspective, what did you find exercise did for you physically? So I know that obviously you've said it made you kind of the cool kid at school but actually from a physical point of view did it help with your CF did it kind of expand your lung capacity or did it help with your um, physical condition absolutely I strongly believe that without the exercise I wouldn't be here today and there are there are lots of reasons behind that but I, I genuinely think that listen how many children do you know who would enjoy sitting on a bed for 20 minutes to half an hour every morning and every evening having quite brutal physio, so being hit on the chest, on the mm. side, on the back, to try and open up the airways and clear the mucus from the lungs. It's not an enjoyable experience. Mm. And, and ultimately, all they're trying to do is to basically force air into the, the smaller airways in your lungs to clear them. Well, exercise, when done properly does exactly the same job effectively and for me i would much rather go kick a ball around a field for hours on end every day mm. than being hit on a on a bed and listen i get that not everyone enjoys exercise yeah. not everyone enjoys pushing themselves i certainly don't condone pushing yourselves to the extent that i do but i think for me let's be honest i don't have a huge amount of time to read lots of books and it's not really been something that I've been really excited by a really good book. I'd rather be out and about doing stuff. Mm. But if my life depended on it to read a book a week, I would read a book a week. How hard I train directly impacts how long I'm going to live. Mm. And I don't think anyone could have any stronger motivation than, than that. Uh, honestly, if I could just bottle everything you've just said up and have it as like my morning mantra, that would be amazing. Thank you so we'd, much. We'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just so inspiring that you can take such adversity and just be like, Do you know what? I'm going to flip it on its head. And I think I've personally experienced how the, the power of exercise, I totally believe that it can have such a huge impact on someone mentally physically emotionally but it is just about crossing that first hurdle so that you can get people to recognize that it's not just about you know i did this whole post recently about how exercise isn't about weight loss and i think you are someone who is such a great example of a case where exercise has nothing to do with the way you look it's extending your life and it's fulfilling all of your goals and dreams and engaging in that mindset that keeps you hungry for life and I think that's so incredible I think for me I, I literally trained to survive that has been my life since day one practically um, or certainly from the age of two and you know I'm 32 now 30 years on since you know that incredible doctor who sadly passed a few years ago and, and funnily enough we shared the same birthday oh so at God. the end of the day when he came in he said oh what's great is that we share exactly the same birthday and it was that Christmas that my father invited him over and his family stayed with our family for <gasps> Christmas and he what was amazing is that obviously I was approaching my 30th birthday I'd announced this challenge and sadly it was his last ever trip but he flew over to be at the finish line for my challenge and we then celebrated our birthdays together oh two days la gosh. later and it was one of those experiences that really hit home uh, and every message that he ever gave me throughout his life wasn't just about 
you know, exercise being good for you physically. It was very much about a mental state of mind. Mm. I don't train to look good. Mm. You know, whether you look good or not, it's a byproduct of, of what you do. Mm. And I think for me, you know, whether I go to the gym or whether I'm out and about hiking or running or, you know, doing anything outdoors, I feel incredible after I've done it. Mm. And, and I get that people who might just be starting out might be thinking, oh my God, this is really hard. I'm hurting the next day and everything. That's normal. Mm. You know, it's, I hurt every other day, <laughs> you know, from my training regime. And that's just, that to me is a feeling of progress as opposed to, oh, let's stop. Now you've mentioned your challenges. Mm. I am totally fascinated by them. And you started at quite young, age 17, with your Kilimanjaro climb. I think mm. most people's idea of a challenge, I mean, the furthest I've ever run is a half marathon and that was a struggle. <laughs> so most people's idea of a challenge is probably like a marathon at a push, but that wasn't quite enough for you. What inspired you to do like quite literally the extraordinary? Yeah, listen, the, the first thing I want to say is, you know, and I can't, coin this as my own I, I can't remember who I heard it off now but your hard is the same as my hard mm. and and that is such an important point for me to make because you know I have grown up exercising for hours every single day and it's become part of who I am and it is actually who I am as a person now and I push myself to the absolute extreme for me. And whether you're running a half marathon, marathon, 10K, even a 5K, that could be your extreme version of what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was approached to, our, I was asked basically to climb Kilimanjaro for charity. And I'd always wanted to dedicate most of my life to raising money and awareness around the world for cystic fibrosis. So when I was asked to climb Kilimanjaro, I started looking at it and I started thinking, you know, yeah, it's a great challenge. It, it looks amazing. The mountain looks incredible. At 17, you know, I knew that if I was successful, I'd be the youngest person in the world with cystic fibrosis to ever have summited the mountain, wow. which to me was sort of like at that age, I was super competitive and, and still am actually. But, <laughs> I was going to say, has that subsided? <laughs> <laughs> but I think for me, I was like, okay, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. But then chances are in... 10, 15, 20 years time, someone's going to come and break that record and I want to do something a bit different. And I realised, even at 17, I realised that in order to raise a huge amount of money and to reach more and more people around the world with this message that exercise is good for you, I needed to take it a, a step further. So I had a chat with Scott Welsh, former European heavyweight champion, and I basically said, listen, I want to have a fight with you at the top of this mountain. I want to do it for charity and we're going to raise loads of money. And I think the team, there was a team of 11 of us, I think total. And we'd set ourselves a target of 40,000 pounds to raise, which was, you know, I mean, you're talking of 15 years ago. So it was a huge amount of money to raise. Huge. And he said, yes. I thought, oh, right. Okay. I've actually got to go do this now. <laughs> so basically we did the, the wrong guy route, which is a, a pretty tough route other than, the climbing route, I think it's the hardest. Mm. And it's three days up and two days down, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I remember on the first day, we were sort of setting out on this track and none of us really knew what to expect. We'd done some hiking. Well, I hadn't done any training for it. I just did my normal routine. And um, But Scott had taught me how to box a little bit. So I didn't look like a complete numpty when we got up there and the cameras are rolling. But we hadn't really told that many people that we were going to do it. So for health and safety reasons, obviously, you're only up there for about 15 minutes, I mm. believe. And 
because of the altitude, you've got to come come down after 15 minutes. So anyway, we summited. We dropped one person who had really bad altitude sickness. It was like six o'clock in the morning. We watched the sunrise. And it was just the most incredible view. Uh, my dad did it. He was 60 at the time, and he did it with us, which was oh just an God. incredible experience, which I'll never forget. And then me and Scott kind of looked at each other and said, right, are we ready? And, of course, not many people knew what we were about to do. And all of these sort of like, you know, all of our team, really, the Sherpas, everyone was around us with our bags and everything. And we got our rucksacks and we just opened them up and we got the boxing gloves out. And I think it was about minus 20 degrees. And we stripped off to the waist. Uh, so we had tracksuit bottoms and hiking boots on. <laughs> and we just started fighting. And I remember... What did people come in and be like, oh, guys, break this up? Well, this is the thing. So <laughs> everyone just started watching. The porters, just, they were looking at us going, what are they doing? We've never seen this oh before because no one had ever done it before. And, and I thought, and then all of a sudden I'm looking around as we're sort of like sparring. And I saw loads of cameras coming out. And obviously back then it was like these massive camcorders coming out of rucksacks. And I thought, this is my chance because all my mates are going to see this. I need to catch him. And obviously he was going so easy. I mean, the photo of us doing it is ridiculous. He's like three times my size. <laughs> and, you know, I was still a skinny cross-country runner at the time. And I remember thinking, I've got to catch him on camera. And mm. I did. I hit him. Well, he didn't move. And he looked at me and just smiled. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to hurt. And he did. He caught me. And I'd suffered from nosebleeds all the way up. And he caught me on the nose. And it was terrible. But we carried on for another minute and a half. Um, but we came down. And, and listen, we raised £125,000 in the end. So Amazing. that really was, I think, the start of my journey to raising a lot of money mm. and, and more importantly to show that even when you've got cystic fibrosis you can still do these incredible things mm. how was it climbing that physically did you find it just as much of a challenge as everyone else how was your kind of physio stuff that you had to do on the way up or i didn't do any physio on the way up it was literally just we'd hike for a few hours we'd rest we'd eat drink and then we'd acclimatize on a couple of nights so you'd go up slightly higher mm. and then come back down to camp to sleep mm -hmm. um and to be honest the only thing that i really suffered with with headaches and nosebleeds yeah that i got those really bad i mean one night i had a full black bag full of bloody paper um it was you know that was quite bad but i didn't really have the the sickness the nausea and and to be honest with you my lungs were absolutely fine because yeah. i trained so hard mm. you know in cross country mm. um i think naturally I, I had the ability to do it um but when we got to the top the boxing match was sort of like on another level <laughs> I cannot even imagine. And £125,000 is a huge amount of money, particularly back then. Is it important for you to know exactly where the money is going? You know, you sometimes hear about these huge amounts of money raised and you don't quite know where it goes to. So for you, do you have a close relationship with the charities that you donate to? Yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, I, I did a lot of um, fundraising for the Sister Barbarossa's Trust and you know, over the years, my family have been involved in, in huge amounts of, of fundraising, um, whether that be putting fitness events on or dinners or anything like that, really, to mm. raise money. We've always been really heavily involved. And my dad was a trustee of the CF Trust many years ago. And I think at that stage, it was it was sort of, like I said, I wanted to the money to go towards sport and, and exercise for, mm. for kids. And then growing up, obviously the challenges became harder. So I think from my perspective, because I wanted every penny to go towards the children and to go towards genuinely helping them get into sport and exercise and give them the best opportunity, just like the advice I got off Bob Kramer when I was two, I, I wanted to know exactly where every penny was going. 
And the CF Trust do an incredible job in funding research, in exercise programs and all of this stuff around the universities around, uh, around the UK. And they're heavily involved with the CF Foundation in America and all of that, which is great. But I thought I was just crying out for something else, something a bit different. And, and for me personally, more positive. Yeah. So I don't like generally when families come to me and they talk about death and they talk about the life expectancy for their children. And I want to sort of get people away from thinking like that, because like we talk about mental health, it's not good for a child to grow up in that environment when they're talking about death mm. quite a lot. And when you go on certain websites and, you know, it's how to plan your, your own funeral, mm. that's not really what I want to be. I also think, though, in life, when any external limitation is placed on you, it's just so unhelpful with anything. But particularly when it comes to your health, your body and your life predicament, for someone else to put that onto you and say your life is limited this is what's going to be your outcome you know you, you're a prime example of how you never let that define you and you never let anyone do that to you and I think you're absolutely right that putting a positive spin on that and allowing the children to realize their own potential is so key we'll be back after this welcome back to give me strength Absolutely. And, and that's why me and my brother started our own children's charity, CF Warriors. And, and we really focus on children up to the age of 18. doesn't matter where they live in the world. We want to reach as many as possible. And the, the reason why we did that is, is purely and simply we wanted to send warrior packs out to these children to inspire them, to motivate them. Uh, there's one thing that not a lot of people know about cystic fibrosis is that two CF sufferers can never meet. So because of cross-infection, like I might have one bug that someone else doesn't. Well, we can't be in the same room just in case we cross-infect. Mm. Well, that's a huge problem. And actually for children growing up, it's quite isolating. So I thought, well, how do we combat that? Well, online, social media, that's how we can get people engaged. That's how we can get them exercising together mm. with their families. Their mums and dads are involved. The whole family, brothers, sisters, they're all involved. But if they got a warrior pack with a wristband, a cap, a, you know, a hoodie, a T-shirt, some sports equipment, they're going to feel part of a team, which within cystic fibrosis, generally speaking, you don't ever feel part of a team. Mm. And, you know, I see the faces of these kids when they receive their warrior pack now. And I, I was only saying to my brother yesterday, every day we wake up and there's so many more photos and videos that we get sent of these kids all over the world waking up and they can't wait to get home to put their CF Warrior hoodie on and it's it's quite it's quite emotional for me because you know growing up I hid it because I didn't want people to question me I, I wanted to be normal and I wasn't proud of having CF yeah and now we've got kids all over the world being genuinely proud they've got this disease yeah. and they feel like a superhero because they're called a CF Warrior and I'm sure that that shift in outlook in positivity has an impact on their condition, massively so. I, I did know about two CF sufferers not being able to meet, and I don't think there's many other conditions in the world where two sufferers can't be in the same room. That must be one of the things that is probably most difficult and most challenging with CF is that like you can't have that sense of community 
together and so something like what you're doing is just so empowering because you are part of something and and in anything in life not just with charity or whatever to feel a part of something is so important and so motivating and within the packs what kind of stuff do they have is it more like information do you give them like updates on what so, you're doing yeah we give them information but they get um especially the younger kids they get a little certificate you know saying congratulations you're a cf warrior now and and that's really sort of empowering them i suppose we also every wednesday we have a wednesday warrior shout out so there'll be a child on all of our social media pages on a wednesday Mm. and you know we get the reaction from them but in the warrior pack as well we're working on different items that we are you know absolutely allowed to send out Mm. so you know, if it's things like skipping ropes in the future and things like that, I mean, mm-hmm. we've got to be, unfortunately, we've got to be careful because of health and safety and yeah. all of that. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, and I want to sort of send kids things that will motivate them to actually work and, and, and work towards their fitness and their health. And, but also practical stuff. And also to give them the responsibility, because mm-hmm. I think far too often, especially in the fitness community these days, there are a lot of excuses as to mm-hmm. why people are, you know, sort of lazy essentially and with cystic fibrosis you cannot afford to be lazy you have to be active you have to work on your health and what we're trying to do is empower these children to grow up with that mindset of this is really good for me i'm going to enjoy it and i'm not saying for everyone to go and lift a huge amount of weight in 24 hours Mm. but what i am saying is that find something that your child enjoys yeah and if they enjoy it they're more likely to continue that for for life absolutely i mentioned in the introduction that you were only the fifth person in the world to complete the world's fittest man challenge can you describe what this entails yeah so i said to my dad obviously i wanted to do a a physical challenge for charity to celebrate becoming 30 because it was an age that i was told i was never going to meet and yeah i started googling crazy challenge i'm not sure what i put into google to get this up (laughs) but i i stumbled across this this guy in america joe decker who'd created this man's fittest challenge and only four people had ever managed to complete it and within you had a basically a 24-hour window to complete it and i called the campaign 24 hours for cf so within the 24 hours i had to cycle 100 miles lift 100 tons I then had to run 10 mile, cross train 10 mile, row 10 mile, swim 2 miles and then do 3,000 sit-ups, 1,000 press-ups and 1,000 squats. <gasps> so it was pretty intense and oh, I was only allowed, God. I think it was three two-minute breaks I was allowed in 24 hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I completed it in 22 hours and 10 minutes and my trainer came up to me and said listen Josh you've promised that you're going to exercise non-stop for 24 hours for all these children they're all sending in their videos they're all exercising with you what are you going to do for the like hour and 50 minutes you got left and I was like <laughs> well let's get on the rowing machine let's row another 10 to make it 20 miles in total on the rowing machine so that's what we did um, and I crossed the line and you know like I said earlier Dr Bob was sort of on the finish line waiting which was really emotional but it kind of set the bar because not long after that, I think it was literally about four days when I could start walking again properly on my own, um, people were saying, well, what next? Because you told us you're going to do an annual challenge. So that's where I was thinking, right, okay, I've set the bar probably a little bit too high for the first year. But being the fifth person in the world to do it, I felt like the fourth loser. I was like, right, well, I can't be number five in the world. Josh, you can't think like that. (laughs) But that's been my mentality growing up. You are so competitive, aren't you? But that was one thing I really wanted to ask you, is how do you, you know, even I find 
myself coping with pressures from social media and all that kind of stuff you've got a huge following on social media how do you find yourself coping with the pressure from your followers but also yourself like it sounds like you put a lot of pressure on yourself to achieve more of yourself each time that you tackle a challenge like how do you deal with that mentally because you must feel as though you're always having to do more and sometimes you know there is a I'm not, I mean, maybe not for you, but for for a lot of people, there is a kind of, there's a threshold to which they can work to. How do you find yourself kind of overcoming that, that pressure? I really love the pressure. Um, I react to it really well. I, Mm. I put a lot of the pressure on myself, if I'm honest. The first year when I announced it on social media, no one thought it was possible. Someone with CF to do this was going to be impossible. And I love that. I absolutely loved people doubting me. And there were so many people saying, I know a lot of people say, don't read, you know, the press and things like that. And the comments that people put are awful and everything else. And I remember the Daily Mirror doing a a feature on it. And I actually had Darren Campbell, ex-Olympian, who was one of my coaches at the time, which was pretty special. And he said, Josh, whatever you do, don't read the comments. Just don't bother. It's not worth it. You know, it'll get you down. What do I do? I go and read the comments. I think the headline was something like, man goes from deathbed to one of the fittest in the world. So I scrolled down, saw the first comment, and the first comment was some guy in Northern Ireland, and he said, he's going to die anyway. What's the point in even trying? And it hit such a nerve with me. Mm. I didn't respond. I didn't do anything. But what I did do was screenshot the message and his name and I found him on Facebook and I just but I just kept I know it's quite stalkerish isn't it but I just kept it to myself I didn't do anything I just literally screenshot the message and I just found him on Facebook and then about a week after the challenge I remembered because I'd totally forgotten about this guy because it was like two months before the actual challenge and then about a week after I finished oh my god yeah remember that guy that said that so I went onto his Facebook and all I did was just I screenshot his message messaged it to him and just said, well, would you believe it? And that was it. Mm. And he read it, he didn't respond. But I thought that was my way of saying, you know, keep yourself to yeah. yourself kind of thing. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm certainly <laughs> not say, condoning it. A little bit of future press, maybe, you know, I've had, like, why do we do it to ourselves? Like, I've had articles about me in, mm. in the press, and it doesn't happen hugely often, but when it does, why do we do it to ourselves? Why do we read the bad comments? And even, like, on Instagram, and I'm sure you probably mm. get it too, you'll get, like, hundreds of kind comments from lovely people saying really nice things, and you'll get one bad and it, one, and it'll be like, oh, that's really hit a nerve, and you just want to, like, bite back. Mm. And I've actually learned, you know, I'm such a feisty person sometimes that I just want to, you know, I'm I'm so yappy. I just want to go straight back with like an answer. Mm. But actually, I found it so much more empowering to just revel in the silence and to just, I'm exactly like you, though. My biggest motivation in life is to prove people wrong. That for me is like red rag to a ball. I just feel like that sets, sets my motivation alight. But I think that let that do the talking let your success do the talking yeah and let the kind of critics just fall by the wayside and I definitely do yeah. that now and you Good. know and that was that was <laughs> definitely one of my mistakes that i made and and you know i haven't done it since because i mean when i announced the next challenge again i put more pressure on myself because i had to set the bar yeah but i think for me because i i'd done those challenges it almost went from 99.9 percent of people doubting me or doubting that anyone, it was, you know, I mean, when I announced the million, it was like, this is humanly impossible. Even mm. some trainers were saying to me, listen, mm. don't try this. This is going to be dangerous. It's not good for your heart, let alone your lungs and everything else. 
you know, you're putting your body under so much pressure, under so much stress that you're going to not just injure yourself, but, you know, your heart rate's going to be out of control for mm. so many hours of that day. Mm. You know, it, it's just incredible. But the difficulty is because I did that then, people then started to believe in it and started thinking, oh, well, he's going to do it. You know, anything that he announces now, he's going to do it. And I hated that. I was like, no, 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 keep doubting. Keep doubting because that drives me, yeah. that motivates me to, to do these crazy. And actually, when I'm in a really dark place, it's those doubters that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Have you ever doubted yourself? I think I'd be stupid not to. Mm. Um, I think there's a, there's, listen, there's a realistic approach to all of these things. As they get bigger and as they get more intense and effectively more dangerous, mm. there's obviously going to be a percentage of me that thinks, okay, where is this ceiling? Where, you know, where is the limit here? Mm -hmm. Now, I know what my family sort of worry about um, is that I don't know that limit and I haven't found it. So where is that limit going to come in? You know, am I going to push too hard? You know, when I lifted the million kilos, I did it with a broken hand. And, you know, ultimately my heart rate was an average of something like 155 for 24 or 22 hours and 11 minutes. Um, it was 189 for three hours, mm -hmm. you know, and when you look at the, the stress on the body that that has, mm -hmm. and not just, listen, mentally, I went through hell afterwards. Um, I hadn't anticipated how much it was going to take off. Um, certainly on social media and afterwards I came crashing down because of course everyone goes back to their day jobs everyone goes back to normal life yeah. and for me I was still on this high I was like wait 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 let's keep talking about it it was amazing yeah. and everyone's just like back to normal and so that Christmas I went through some really sort of rough mental times and then had to learn right okay well how do I stop that from happening again and that really came in the form of setting more and more goals which were more and more stupid but can um, I can I maybe suggest and I might be <laughs> speaking beyond my limits here but is there something in you focusing on the physical and letting that do the talking to distract maybe from the the psychological side of things absolutely particularly um, within that circumstance you know you had this huge physical challenge you committed yourself 110 percent to something that is humanely impossible <laughs> you lifted a million kilograms in under 24 hours mm. you probably didn't have space or time to think about anything else so when that come when that stops and the challenge is gone you suddenly had all this headspace to be like oh god there's loads of stuff there and i don't quite know how to unpack it do you think there's something in that absolutely there was a massive void because you know don't forget it's not just about that challenge day it's how you get there it's mm. the journey it's the six or seven hours in the gym every single day one day off in every 10 that's all i was allowed mm. so when you talk to obviously personal trainers like yourself <laughs> they're like take a day off every one to two days you know a day off in between you know sessions and I'm like okay I get one day off in every 10 and I'm exercising for around six hours intense lifting weight hence why I went in with stress fractures in my hand because mm. I just pushed my body to its effectively its limits and you're right you know after I finished I was like oh, well what do I do now mm. you know and I hadn't planned anything afterwards that was my fall down you know I hadn't thought about what was to come mm. and it came as a massive shock you know, and, and listen, the world record that, you know, being number one in the world, everyone's like, oh my God, what's it like? It's like, it's all right. It's not, it, it was actually not as good 
as I thought it was going to feel. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, listen, there's not many people trying to lift a million kilos in, in the world <laughs> in, in under 24 hours. Yeah. So it's not as if I'm, you know, against six billion people. But it's still amazing. But I think there's something in that void that, you know, I spoke to someone recently and I thought it was such an interesting conversation and it was different to um, exercise, but it was about sobriety and that this guy was saying that he'd recently gone sober and the thing that he'd gained was time. Suddenly he had all this time, he wasn't, you know, sleeping until 12 and then going out and boozing and just losing his mind. He suddenly had all this time to think and to feel and to be on his own. And that for him was the most difficult thing about going sober. And I'm slightly a slightly different addiction, but exercise addiction, that yeah. kind of that thrill, that that love for, for just absolutely caning mm. yourself in the gym. I get it. It is equally addictive in some people's eyes. When that thing goes and the team goes and you've kind of got this space and time, you're left with, with all the headspace. And, I, you know, I've experienced that. I think it happens to athletes who get injured. I think it happens to people that maybe for whatever reason can't do the thing that they love. They suddenly have all this space and time to be with their own thoughts. How did you find yourself having to overcome what you describe as pretty dark, dark times? I think for me personally... I had to be comfortable on my own and I had to be comfortable sort of doing my own thing and not having to sort of think about the whole team anymore. And, you know, with my career, I suppose, in, in doing what I do, mm. going around the UK and, and Europe and talking about my experiences and, and actually educating people on not just cystic fibrosis, but a positive mindset and, and a good outlook on just exercise in general uh, and and you know i hate the cliche living your best life but i think we go day to day without actually thinking about our goals we go day to day without actually thinking about what we truly want in life and social media is fantastic for us because we get to spread the word to millions and millions of people all around the world and educate them on cf and, mm. and reach all these cf worries which is which is incredible and, and we couldn't do what we do without social media mm. however as you know, in the influencer world, you know, it's full of pretty people in amazing cars, amazing houses, and they have this image of success. And ultimately for me, it's easy for someone to lose sight of what success really is. And it's easy to be drawn into that world of social media and what success should look like instead of focusing on what we really want. And I mean, I, I do a lot of talks in schools and, you know, whenever I ask the question, you know, what, what are your goals in life? What do you want to be, you know, and what do you want to do? And, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's, it's common that they say, oh, I want a big house. I want a Ferrari. I want a Lamborghini. I want this, that and the other. I want the nice holidays and all the rest of it. And whenever you ask them why, they can't answer you. And it's the why that I started to realise even more after my challenge uh, of the million, especially because, you know, not that I forgot why I was doing it, because obviously I'm doing it to raise money and, and awareness. But I think it really hit home as to what I want to do with my life. And in order to help all of these children, it's not just about the physical exercise. It's about day to day life. Mm. And how do we educate these children not just on exercise, but mental well-being as well and coping with having a disease where there is no cure is more than just going to the gym every day for, for an hour. So I dedicated more of my time to really thinking about that and how we grow as a charity and how I grow in my career in order to get on a platform, much like this today really, to reach more people mm. and, and spread that message. And, and that, that void suddenly disappeared 
and, and I, I really sort of had a, a moment to myself to say, you know, this is what I want. This is, this is what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to because it's something that I'm really passionate about. And, and listen, no money in the world could ever replace the feeling I get mm. when I get a message from a parent or a child saying how great they feel because they're exercising because of CF Warriors. Mm. And, you know, you could give me a million pounds a day to give it all up and I wouldn't take the money. And, and that really hits home to, to me and my family that that, is ultimately going to be my legacy as as CF Warriors. Mm. And I think you're so right that there's, you know, the idea of success these days is purely for most people on a a monetary level. How successful can you be is how many material possessions have you got? And I've been thinking a lot recently about the idea of success, the concept of success. What is it? What does it look like to me? I would have said probably about three years ago that I would have sat here and said, I just want more followers and I want to do more of what I love and I just want to be really successful and everyone know who I am. Is that necessarily what I'd say now? Absolutely not, because I've really had to sit back and through personal challenges and various other things going on, I've had to decide for myself what success looks like. And for a lot of people, if you really sit down and think, it doesn't really involve money and Mm. and material possessions and those things are nice and money helps you have an easier life in in a lot of situations but actually like are the happiest people the richest no they're not and i think you've you've raised close to a million pounds that you've decided from your own goodwill to to devote to something that has had such a huge impact on what is such a, a life limiting condition and i think that must be the most rewarding feeling in the world yeah, it is. And, and listen, I could go out and earn money. And don't get me wrong. Listen, I love my nice cars. I love my motorbikes. You know, we all love, love the nice things in life. Mm-hmm. Of course we do, you know, but that's not why I do what I do. No. And, and I think that's the point I'm trying to get across is that if I was in this for the money, mm. I would A, be in it for the wrong reasons, mm. but B, I wouldn't have raised as much as I have. And, and also I think, it shouldn't be to the sacrifice of your own mental well-being. Exactly. Ever. And I think what I've done with my life and whether people see it as a success or not, it's it's a success to me in my eyes, which is the most important thing because it's my life and mm-hmm. everyone should think exactly the same. You know, <laughs> I mean, who cares what my opinion is on someone else's life? Mm. Because it's their life. Do what you want with your own life. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the one thing when I speak to a lot of people, yeah, some of them got a lot of money. Someday that money could disappear or it could get taken away from you or you, mm. you could lose your job or, you know, whatever can happen with financially. But with my life and the way I view it, the feeling that I have from all of these families all over the world, no one can ever take that away. Mm. You know, no matter what, that feeling of success can never be taken away from mm. me. And I think that's why it's so important in my life to continue on this journey. And, and I'll be doing this till the day I die. <gasps> Um, Goosebumps. But, you know, and this this is why I think it's so important. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, you can still give back. And listen, yeah, if I was a millionaire, it would be very easy for me to say, right, there's a million pounds for charity mm. without actually putting in any effort. Mm. But to raise money, you have to be creative. You have mm. to, you know, think of all these crazy things, which is most of the problem that I have at and the moment. And then you have to do those crazy things yourself. Do them. <laughs> but, but that's what I live for. And that's yeah. what I'm happy to devote my life to. Mm. To top off what was a truly incredible 20, 2018 for you with doing all of those challenges, you then went on to get an OBE from the Queen mm, yeah. um, for your services to cystic fibrosis awareness. What was that like? Unreal. And and I mean that sincerely. Uh, I got a letter in the post and I thought it was a joke. 
I genuinely thought some of the lads were pulling my leg. And I thought, you know, I, I went down and got this letter and it was addressed to me and it had the royal stamp on the top. And I thought, what is this? And I opened it and the very first line was the Prime Minister would, would like to basically put you forward for, for an OBE uh, to Her Majesty the Queen. And I thought, what? What the hell is this all about? And I was genuinely speechless. I didn't know, you know, I went downstairs and my dad was there and I, I just looked at him. He said, what's wrong? And I handed him the letter. So, oh my God, you got an OBE. <laughs> I said, I know, I've just read it. <laughs> oh, what's gone on? And he said, we've known, you know, everyone had known about this for the last two years. Oh. And we'd had to keep it a secret from you because you weren't allowed to know anything. And I was like, what do you mean everyone? He said, honestly, there's been so many people involved in this. Oh. And apparently they had like 50 letters from, from loads of different people all around the world. And, and I just thought, but why? And he was like, well, everyone thinks that you deserve it. And I thought, well, that's lovely, but I mean, but why? And I just, I just genuinely couldn't get my head around mm. the fact that all of these people had thought of me getting something for, for these efforts because... You know, I mean, I can't stress enough, you just don't do the... It's not a goal. Uh, out of all of the goals I've ever had and ever will have, getting a gong or getting an award for something is never one of them. Mm. And I think if, if it is on anyone's goal, let's take it off right now because mm. you're in it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but but also it's me, a very fleeting mm, experience, you know. You'll get an award and mm. then the next day it's like, oh, cool. And, and exactly as you said, oh, it's back to normal life. You have such more of a, um, a wider focus and a purpose mm. in your life than just getting up on stage taking something and going and going off again so yeah it was it was quite strange though i mean because obviously i got that letter and of course you're not allowed to say anything to anyone until they and they officially announced it in june and it was like months away i was thinking how am i not going to tell my best mates about this <laughs> this is like going to be the hardest secret i've ever had to keep and um and yeah so I, I kept it to myself and then all of a sudden i got tagged in something on twitter uh, on a Friday evening at like 10 o'clock and it had just been announced on the news mm. that all of these people had got an award. Mm. And I just thought, wow, do you know what? It's starting to sink in that this has actually happened mm. and it only helps the cause. Yeah. You know, it helps the cause, it helps the charity. It opens more doors potentially. Yeah. Um, and you know what? After letting it sink in and going to Buckingham Palace and, and actually getting it was just a surreal experience for the whole family. It was just crazy. But it's pretty special to get a pat on the back from the Queen. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's all great when your mates say, yeah, good job, mate. But when the Queen says it, it's a bit what, special. What did she actually say? What were her well, words? I didn't meet her. I met, it was Prince William that actually oh, gave the award, which was lovely. <laughs> he, he was so lovely. And I've done a couple of things with Prince Charles, which is really special. Um, because he opened essentially his, his doors to his house at St. James's Palace for last year's yeah, challenge. And we cycled from Dover to, to London and he said would you like to cycle into the house and I thought well that's pretty much an offer I can't refuse I had to phone Twickenham Stadium say I'm really sorry guys <laughs> but we've had a, a slight change of plan so that was really special but Prince William was just so charming and lovely do and you want to explain what that challenge was because I, I was actually going to read it okay, this is probably sorry. my favourite <laughs> but I feel like you'll do it justice saying okay. it yourself so I set out to swim 21 miles in Dover and then immediately jump on a bike and cycle 200 miles to St James's Palace in London and then run home uh, to Cardiff, 160 miles, which is six marathons back to back in five days with no rest, which, yeah, 
I mean, looking back now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's mad. It's actually yeah. mad. No rest. Like, you didn't even sleep at night. So that was the plan. So the swim went really well. And we did, I think I did, it was, let me get this right. I think it was 1,360 odd lengths yeah, in, in the did, pool down in Dover. I think it was something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, after about 100, I just lost count. <laughs> luckily, I had everyone counting there for me. But um, but that went really well. But it was a really warm environment. And the weather was not kind to us in Dover that, mm. that night. So I jumped on the bike with two support cyclists, Tony, um, two Tonys, actually, um, from London. And they were amazing, in, in fairness. And we jumped on the bike. And it was just the worst weather I'd ever experienced in, no. in Britain. It was cold, wet, windy. And it was just absolutely relentless. The first six hours were uphill, which... You know, for any cyclists out there, understand that that's pretty tough going. So the cycle didn't actually go to plan. We stopped a few times, and, and I got pulled into an ambulance at one point, and uh, was basically my sats were like down to eighty. Uh, my breathing rate was just all over the shop, and and I had to take some rest in the ambulance before getting to St James's Palace. But when we got to St James's Palace, I must say they opened the gates. It was quite surreal because I'd forgotten my ID, right? Well, it's not the first thing I'd think of when I'm going on a 21-mile swim and a cycle. It was, it was crazy. Oh, I so. must pack my driving licence. Well, as we were cycling through London, I thought, hang on a minute. I hope I'm going to get in. And in fairness, the gates were open and the guards just went, go on, Josh, go straight in. And I was like, thank goodness <gasps> for that. And it was just amazing. And in fairness, the palace they put on lasagna for everyone not just my core team oh my God, but lasagna. St John's Ambulance who followed me the whole route were absolutely incredible and they were invited into the palace we all had a nice meal and then me and Reese, uh, my support runner a really best friend of mine he um, he ran home with it. he's an ultra runner so he he took took it upon himself to run home with me oh, amazing um, but we had so much support and and listen, I'd torn the ATFL ligament in my left ankle a few months before, stupidly playing paintball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was already injured going into it, and we knew that was going to be a battle. So there were a couple of nights where I ended up in the ambulance again and, yeah. and needed treatment. And um, and it was, it was rough, um, but finishing was just a bit like the million really it was emotional mm. really emotional and again it was a challenge that finishing on six marathons back to back was was pretty tough on on the body yeah now Josh you do so much extraordinary there is like a lot that we've crammed in here mm. but I want to know when you find the time for the ordinary like when do you sit on the sofa and just like <laughs> eat a pizza and watch tv like do you find time for that I do Please and luckily me. yeah luckily <laughs> with cystic fibrosis and I say luckily this is one of the positives I think of having CF we only get to digest around 50 to 60 percent of what we eat mm -hmm. um, and my pancreas doesn't sort of make enzymes to digest my food so I have to manually take tablets every time I have a meal and because we only digest about 50 to 60 percent we get to eat more and it's a very excuse the pun slim chance of us getting fat essentially right. so I can go to the gym train and I can pretty much get away with eating what I want afterwards so Ben and Jerry's is my absolute go-to See, um, I'm going to scoop you there. I love Hagen Dazs. Oh, do you? Much oh, nicer. No. I know. No. We'll have to fight that one we out. We're getting on so well. <laughs> Hagen Dazs salted caramel. Oh. Anyway, Ben but and Jerry's. Yeah. So fine. yeah, Ben and Jerry's, but pizza, Indian, Chinese, Thai, okay, all good. of that stuff. And you know, I do watch series and, and episodes of stuff on on Netflix because you have to find the time yeah. for for normal life. And you know, I'm a motivational speaker, as you know, and mm. so I travel quite a lot and. 
you know, it's, it is tiring. Mm. You know, after a few weeks of, of solid travel, you sort of get home and you think, oh, wow, I need, I need a couple of days just for myself <laughs> to pig out and just be me. I mean, mm. the exercise doesn't stop because it's something I genuinely enjoy. But yeah, I have sort of said one of my goals this year is to spend more quality time just sort of with a family, you know, with a girlfriend, just making sure that, you know, we're all on this journey together. Mm. What would you say was your proudest achievement to date? Oh, wow. The OBE comes pretty close, mm. I'm not going to lie. But to be honest, the proudest achievement is me and my brother setting up the charity. Yeah, That really was a turning point in my life and his. And I think because I'd always had this vision of having my own charity for these mm. children. And like you said earlier, you know, quite rightly so, knowing where every penny is going yeah. uh, and understanding that it's going in the right places was key for me i'm also mm. an ambassador for rays of sunshine children's charity in in london and they are just simply an incredible bunch of people mm. who do amazing things for for seriously ill children so those two things are probably my proudest moment and then the obe comes in third i hope the queen's not listening or <laughs> prince charles but um, i've heard she listens yeah. she loves it <laughs> she won't mind um now at the end of every podcast we ask two questions and the first okay. one is what does strength look like to you Wow. That's quite funny, actually. I put something out on Instagram this morning about strength. Um, And I I genuinely think that strength isn't having the ability to make something heavy look or or appear really light. Mm. I think strength to me is having the ability to keep going even when light things are heavy. Mm -hmm. So. (gasps) Oh, I love that. mm. That is. That is so special. I think that's one of my favourite answers so okay, far. Okay, good. <laughs> well done. And then my final question for you is, who in your life demonstrates strength the most? Oh, wow, there's so many people. I think, do you know what? I mean, not from an athletic point of view or a sporting background, because there are so many people in my team who are just super strong. And, and like I said, all of my challenges are a team effort. It's never about just me. Mm. But I think where I get it from is my dad. Mm. essentially all the stuff that he's gone through in his life the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and the ups and downs of just family you know and and everything that he's had to go through he to me is the epitome of of strength josh you have been so wonderful i have loved our chat there is something so special about your welsh accent as well i just (laughs) i love it i love a welsh accent (laughs) i'm glad you can understand me (laughs) i just wanted to say thank you so much if people want to find you where are you sort of based you're online at so um, instagram twitter facebook josh lj24 and then any websites for your charities yep so Mm cfwarriors.org.uk is the main cf warriors website and again on social media you can find cf warriors um we've got a cool yellow and red logo in the shape it. of a warrior helmet so i'm going to put those links in the show notes so you guys can check those out josh thank you so much again good luck for your next challenge whatever thank that may be yeah. and um yeah we would speak soon thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of give me strength we appreciate any feedback you can give so please do rate review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode